Hello, I'm Alec Avdokov, and welcome to the life and times of Frederick the Great. There's really not a whole lot to talk about in the little intro I like to do for this week. Just a reminder that any listener support from now until the end of July will be going to help Ukrainians, and that I have a Twitter and Instagram that I keep posting on. One last thing is to make sure that you give me honest feedback from wherever you listen. So yeah, that's about it. Anyway, sorry for leaving you all on such a cliffhanger. But then again, this all happened over 280 years ago, so are there really any cliffhangers? I last left you with the end of Frederick Wilhelm's reign and the first year of Frederick's reign. I discussed the legacy of Frederick Wilhelm and how he set Frederick up for success. Essentially, Frederick's reign would be built on the shoulders of giants. We also discussed the initial reforms Frederick made for Prussia in his first year as king. And finally, we discussed the death of Emperor Charles VI and its consequences for the Habsburgs. So, what is the watchword for this episode about Frederick the Great? The key word for this episode is war. War with Austria, to be more precise. War with Austria to gain the province of Silesia, to be even more specific. But the two questions that are worth asking are, why now in December of 1740 would Frederick invade Silesia, and why Silesia in general? The answer to the first question is that other powers would take the opportunity if Prussia sat back. There was only a small border between Austria and Prussia in 1740. There is a map that has recently been posted on my Instagram that shows this. Like I said in my last episode, the elector of Saxony, who was also the king of Poland, could invade Silesia and link the kingdom of Poland and its Saxon territories. It is often said that it was not destined for Poland to be wiped off the map for over a hundred years as it was in our reality. One of the greatest assets that the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth had was its size. Poland had the second largest territory in Europe other than Russia. Its western regions were fairly developed, and its eastern regions, in what is today Ukraine, had the famous Cossacks guarding the border between the Ottomans and Russia. With Saxony's grandeur and Poland's size, it seemed that a unified Saxony with Poland would be unstoppable. Tim Blanding's biography of Frederick the Great has a great quote that promotes this sentiment. Blanding writes, quote, When combined with Polish quantity, Saxony's quality gave its elector kings every hope of dominating the region, including Prussia. So if there was going to be a time to invade Silesia, December of 1740 would be that time. Because Maria Theresa was a woman, she could not become the Holy Roman Emperor. This, of course, is a very sexist time period in which women did not have very many rights. Therefore, Frederick began to cook up a legal pretext for taking over Silesia. Frederick and his legal team cooked up the reason that Prussia had a legal claim on a few territories within Silesia from the late 1600s during the, great, during the reign of the Great Elector. The Holy Roman Emperor, Leopold I, denied the claim to the Great Elector back in the 1670s. So essentially, King Frederick pulled a legal claim that what doesn't really make sense in order to invade an area that wasn't really his in the first place. 
Hmm. A shaky legal pretext for a blatantly obvious attack in a fertile region of Europe. Where have I seen this before in the past year? The answer to the question of why to invade Silesia in particular is a fairly simple one to answer. Frederick wanted money and glory. Silesia was extremely important to the Habsburg Empire in 1740. That year, Silesia gave a quarter of the empire's tax revenue. Silesia had a growing linden industry and was rich in agricultural production. It also had a population of roughly 1.1 million and thus would double the population of Prussia if it were incorporated into the kingdom. On top of all that, Silesia was minimally defended with about 3,000 infantry and 600 cavalry. This now leads us to another reason why Frederick wanted to invade Silesia. Glory. Remember, Frederick is the same man who wrote in 1731, quote, if one does not advance, one retreats. Therefore, Frederick decided that he would attack the poorly defended yet highly wealthy province of Silesia. However, Frederick could not necessarily carry out a full-scale war on Austria without some help. This, of course, leads us to the archenemy of the Habsburgs, France. We must now discuss the political situation of France in 1740. By that time, another Louis was the king of France, Louis XV. If you remember way back to the fifth episode I made, which was about Louis XIV, Louis had made great territorial gains for France, yet at the cost of ruining the finances of France. Louis XIV had immense power in Western Europe, and I will read an interesting quote I got from Tim Blanding regarding the Peace of Saint-Germain. This treaty was made between the great electors Brandenburg and Sweden back when Brandenburg conquered almost all of Swedish Pomerania. Tim Blanning writes, quote, he, meaning the great elector, had been unfortunate enough to encounter Louis XIV at the height of his power and prestige, a time when any French diplomat could boast that not a dog barks in Europe unless our king says he may. Sixty years later, dogs were howling without any reference to Versailles. But all that glitters is not gold. By the end of King Louis XIV's reign, his treasury was empty, and he had accrued a debt which was over a billion, with a B, livres. There is a quote which I thought was necessary to put into this episode about France's finances immediately after Louis XIV's reign. A prominent French minister said that about the finances that it was, quote, a wretched situation characterized by immense debts, a population crippled by taxes, numbers diminished, and trade less flourishing. But this is France in the 1700s we are talking about. A kingdom with the most natural wealth, the most people, and also the most poorly administered kingdom this side of the Rhine. Even the massive population advantage France had would slowly decline over the 1700s. The population of France would only increase by 30% throughout the 1700s, while other European states' populations would double during the same time period. The recent war Polish succession did not help the financial situation of France either. The state of the military in France was also lackluster in that war. Although the French army could be mobilized in large numbers, their performance was slow and undisciplined. The French also had to complete, compete with other nations on the colonial front. 
See, France had claimed the area around the St. Lawrence River Valley in North America as early as 1534 and traded for beaver furs in that area. France also had colonies in New Orleans up through the Mississippi River Valley, and their goal in the 1730s was to link these two colonies in the Ohio River Valley. While those were the French designs for North America, Britain had different ideas. See, the settlers of the 13 colonies were beginning to expand westward from their colonial possessions. This inland colonization by English settlers put the French and the British plans for North America pitted directly against one another. However, there were also stirrings between the French and English on the European front as well. Back in 1688, when Louis XIV was still on the throne of France, Britain had a change in government. This small event became known as the Glorious Revolution. This was the time when England switched from James II, from the Stuart family, to William III, who was the Stadtholder of the Netherlands. One could view it as the last successful invasion of the British Isles, or an internal matter in which a monarch overthrew another monarch in England. Either way, the Glorious Revolution set off the so-called Second Hundred Years' War, in which England and France were at war off and on from 1688 until Waterloo in 1815. These wars were extremely costly for both sides and led to arguably the first financial crash, which is known as the South Sea Bubble in Britain. This bubble led to the consolidation of power in Britain to move from the king to the first prime minister, Sir Robert Walpole. If you ever want to, a better explanation of the South Sea Bubble than I could ever give, there's a very old video on YouTube about it done by Extra History, and a link to it is in the description below. But anyway, the main constant throughout the entire story of the life and times of Frederick the Great is that Britain and France will either despise each other or will be at war with one another. Anyway, Britain would side with the Habsburgs against the Prussian invasion. This is because France would side against the Habsburgs, and anything to damage France was in Britain's in interests. See, it was the old, the enemy of my enemy is my French stick. Another possible enemy of an enemy for Frederick would be the electorate of Bavaria. The elector of Bavaria, Charles Albert, had married the Habsburg Archduchess Maria Amalia, which gave Charles Albert a possible claim to be the Holy Roman Emperor. However, this marriage that I just talked about cost Charles Albert and Bavaria 4 million gilden, which was about a year's revenue for Bavaria. The finances of Bavaria were so awful by 1740 that it had a tiny army of 10,000 men. While Bavaria was rich in material wealth and architectural prowess, it severely lagged behind in armed forces. That does not mean that the Wittelsbach ambitions would have been curbed by this lack of finances or military power. Like I said before, Charles Albert was shooting for the stars. He wanted to be the Holy Roman Emperor and make the Wittelsbach dynasty the new head of the vast riches of Germany. Here's a quote from Tim Blanning's biography of Frederick the Great that discusses Charles Albert's claim for the throne of the Holy Roman Empire. Mr. Blanning writes, quote, There was a legal document to be made. The Bavarians asserted that a treaty of 1546 had stipulated that if the Habsburg dynasty failed in the male line, the inheritance would pass to the Wittelsbachs. 
So that means that Bavaria believed that the title of the Holy Roman Empire should be theirs. This was despite the fact that when the document from 1546 was found in the Austrian archives, it actually said that if the legitimate line of the Habsburg fails, the throne would therefore pass to the Wittelsbachs. The Wittelsbachs, by the way, is the dynasty that rules Bavaria. Sorry if I didn't mention that before. Anyway, I can now go full circle. Bavaria and France had fairly strong ties dating back to the War of Spanish Succession. After all, Bavaria sided with the Habsburgs and with France during that war, and Charles Albert believed that he could pull France into this war in 1740. So that was the political situation in Europe as Frederick invaded the Habsburgs province of Silesia in December 16, 1740. As Frederick was undertaking this venture, he wrote to his minister of state, Heinrich von Podewitz, quote, I have crossed the Rubicon, colors flying and drums beating. That, therefore, brings me to another reason why King Frederick invaded that day, glory. Frederick was a massive reader. He constantly read the classics of history and philosophy and came to a resounding conclusion from all he read from the Roman historians. War is the best way to gain glory. Frederick also believed that he was waging a justified war. He believed that wars of interest were justified in the first book he wrote a year before then, the Antimachiavel. Another factor of war that we forget in our modern minds is that war does not have to be a total victory. Unconditional surrender, like what happened in World War II, is extremely rare in history. Usually, states are at war for a certain amount of time until one state gains the advantage of occupying some territory, and then the two sides come to the negotiating table. Frederick did not want Austrian state to be dismantled. He simply wanted to take Silesia from Austria while Austria was in a weak state. The time period would be known as the era of limited warfare. Now that I have built up the Jenga Tower of Europe, we must discuss how Frederick plans to have it crash down for a new order to be built, one in which Prussia is considered an equal. Therefore, as Frederick did 282 years ago as he began his campaign, I must look at the geography of the region he plans to conquer. I will let David Fraser's biography of Frederick the Great describe what the geography of Frederick's campaign is like, because I don't think I can do a better job than he did. David Fraser writes, quote, The area of Central Europe over which Frederick was to campaign for much of the next three decades is distinguished by several great rivers, lines of communication, strategic highways for military movement, and replenishment. Most easterly is the Oda, running northward through the Moravian Gate and the mountains of Olmütz, marking the western border of Silesia until reaching the Baltic at Stettin. In the center is the Elbe, the western border of Brandenburg, the chief waterway of Saxony, running northward through the Bohemian Gap into Saxony, and ultimately to the sea at Hamburg. Most southernly is the Danube, the highway of the empire, running easterly through the Bavarian Gap into Austria, and thence into Hungary and along the frontier with the Ottomans until it reaches the Black Sea. The country is marked by a considerable mountain range, the Riesengebirge, the giant hills, which form a chain linking the Thuringian forests of central Germany with the Carpathians of Ruthenia and Transylvania. The gaps through these hills were always important to a campaigner, 
but the hills often afforded shelter. Frederick was chiefly concerned with the western part of this mountain range, the frontier hills between Saxony and Bohemia, and those between Bohemia and Silesia. With the course of the Oder and the tributary, the Nysa, with the Elbe. Long quote, I know, but I feel it was important to understand the region in which Frederick is about to campaign in. Frederick would cross into Silesia on December 16, 1740. He faced off against 3,600 Austrians, of which 3,000 were infantry and 600 were cavalry. Frederick had an army of 30,000, and that was split into two columns as they occupied Silesia. Frederick's army posted his so-called proclamations to the Silesians on every church door. This guaranteed rights between the Lutherans and the Catholics. Frederick's army then moved on to Breslau, the capital of Silesia, reached the city on December 31st, 1740, and captured it a few days later after the new year on January 30. So far, there had been practically no fighting, and the army had advanced from Berlin to Breslau in less than a month. This is a distance of 294 kilometers as the crow flies. This was extremely fast during a time when desertion was rife and armies moved rather slow. After Breslau, his next objective would be the fortress city of Neisse, which was 60 miles south of Breslau. The Austrians there planned on fighting. Frederick and his army arrived and then bombarded the fortress at Neisse for 10 straight days in the dead of winter. Frederick then decided that his siege would not be worth it and he left the Austrians in Neisse B. Instead, Frederick traveled back to Berlin and arrived on January 26th. He had lost 20 soldiers throughout that entire time, only 20 soldiers. It was once again time for diplomacy. Frederick wrote to the envoys of Maria Theresa, the new head of the Habsburg family. In those dispatches, he wrote that if the Austrians were willing to recognize Frederick's claims to Silesia, he would support her husband, Francis of Lorraine, to become the next emperor. This, however, was swiftly rejected. Frederick's army now had the de facto control of Silesia. Frederick wanted the rest of the European community to recognize his gains. Austria would obviously not because Silesia was a quarter of their tax revenues. Russia would not because they are in the midst of a succession crisis themselves. Britain was on the fence, but was leaning towards no if Prussia were to align with France. And this, of course, left France. Frederick began to send dispatches to Cardinal Fleury, the head minister of France, to create an alliance against Austria. He found that diplomacy was too slow and continued the campaign in the winter of 1741. An Austrian army was being concentrated in Moravia by Field Marshal Count Neitberg. That army was meant to drive Frederick's army out of Silesia. I will finish this week's episode with one final bit of news from the front. On March 9, 1741, Glogau on the Oder was captured in a surprise attack against the fortress by Prince Max Leopold von Anhalt Dessau. He was the son of the extremely famous Prussian general known as the Old Dessau. With that, I shall have to leave you here. With the convoluted alliance system that was growing throughout Europe, the invasion of Silesia by King Frederick II in Prussia, 
and its nearly bloodless conquest. With all of that, I believe I shall conclude in a German greeting in which Frederick says hello to the European community. Therefore, I shall say, Guten Abend, Europa.